scripture to let you know that's exactly what happened to you. He is the Lord of resurrection. But I want to talk to you again this weekend for the last time, second week in a row, about the resurrection of Lazarus and how not only was he resurrected, but he was raised to live a resurrected life. So are you. So let's read John eleven thirty eight 38 through 44. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. What did Jesus say? Take away that stone. Get the obstacle out of the way. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, I want you to read this with me. One of my favorite verses. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I want you to preach a minute. Turn to your neighbor and say, if you'll believe, you'll see the glory of God. Do you believe that? I'm not done yet. Y'all stand back up. I'm talking to resurrected people here. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. And I, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, say it with me, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Take note of that. Hands and feet bound. Cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, read it with me, take off the grave clothes and let him go. King James, loose him and let him go. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor one more time, you might get loose today. Amen. What a great, great account of what Jesus did. And uh, as I shared last week, you know that Jesus made friends when he was with us here on earth. Uh, He was a people person. And he made very, very close friends with these three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They would have him to his house. They would eat. They would fellowship. Can you imagine Jesus having having Jesus into your living room? What would you ask him? Would you ever let him go? So there he was. He knew them. And one day he's in another town, and Mary and Martha sent a message to him saying, Lazarus, whom you love, is sick. And... They expected Jesus to come running, but he didn't. The Bible says he stayed two days. When he finally showed up, Lazarus had been dead four days. So it was one of those deals that it looked like God was late. Looked like he was a day late and a dollar short. Looked like he didn't care. The sisters were very offended. Where were you? Why didn't you come? And it says that Jesus wept. And that Jesus was deeply moved when he saw and heard these sisters. So he said, take me to the tomb. Let's go to the tomb. They go to the tomb, and Jesus said, I want you to move this stone away. Now, if you were here last week, I showed you that the the stone represented something very, very important. It was the stone of pride, the stone of shame, stone of unbelief. These, these two sisters were too proud to move that stone away because they said, it's going to smell. 
And they had pride about this. Shame. They didn't want anybody to see their problem. They didn't want their problem out in the open. And unbelief. Their attitude was, if you'd gotten here sooner, you could have done something about it. But now, the problem is really, really bad. Now he's dead. So, essentially, they were saying, Jesus, you're too late. You could have done something if you'd been earlier. But now, he's dead. So there was pride, shame, and unbelief. And that was what that stone was. And I shared last week that pride, shame, and unbelief often keep you and I from a breakthrough. From a miracle. We're too proud to go to the cross. We're too proud to admit that we need a Savior. We're too ashamed to let others know what we battle with. Uh, we, we have unbelief. I don't really don't believe. What, what do you mean call on God? What's God going to do for me? And there's unbelief. So pride, shame, and unbelief are the stones that stand between us and uh, between really the, the answer, Jesus, and the problem that we need fixed. And so Jesus said, move that stone away. I'm going to speak to your impossibility. They rolled it away. I think the sisters were going, oh gosh, we were right. It really does stink. And Jesus stepped in front of that tomb and spoke down into their problem. He spoke to their impossibility. Jesus spoke a word to their impossibility. The resurrection spoke to their impossibility. What was impossible in the natural was not impossible to Jesus. He addressed their impossibility. And he will do the same with you and me. He talked to it, and it says, He told the impossibility to live, to be whole. And it says, and I love this, He who had died walked out. Now, this is the way he walked out. He didn't walk out, hallelujah, like, but he walked out like this. You know why? Because he was bound hand and foot. Even though he was resurrected, he was still bound. The dead man came out. Watch what it says. His hands and feet bound. Hands bound, feet bound. And grave, and his face was wrapped in a headcloth, which lets us know he couldn't see. Wrapped in a headcloth. So bound in his hands, bound in his feet, and he couldn't see. And let me make an application to you today. Because th this... This story pops with spiritual truth. It just pops. This story of Lazarus is, is a picture of the power of the gospel. By which and through which dead souls are brought out of the grave of sin. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. The gospel is the voice of the Lord Jesus speaking to the dead souls of men and women. It's the same thing. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.1, You has he quickened, and that word quickened means made alive. He's made you alive who were dead, dead in trespasses and sins. That word dead is from a Greek word, the same Greek word you will find other places in the New Testament used to describe an actual dead person. Same Greek word. You were dead dead. Not kind of dead, not sort of dead, not a little bit dead, but your inner man, your spirit man, your soul was dead as dead can be. 
It was unplugged from the life of God. It did not know the life of God. You may have raised a family and made money, had a job, had a career, paid your bills, stored up a 401k, changed flat tires, lived a life. But until you come to Jesus, your inner man, your soul, is completely and totally lifeless. It is dead. Dead because of sin. Dead because of trespasses. Dead because we have broken God's laws, each and every one of us. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one that doesn't need a Savior. No, not one. We've all died in sin. And so you, He made alive. He raised you from the dead. What a word. So say with me, I'm a resurrected person. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm resurrected. And if you don't know Jesus, hang on. You might before this service is over. Now, I, I, I notice here, now watch with me. On both ends of the miracle of Lazarus' resurrection, Jesus required men's involvement and obedience. For Jesus to get to the problem, they had to roll away the stone. And for Lazarus, once he was resurrected, to live a resurrected life, he had to be unbound. And both times, Jesus required others to do it because Lazarus could not raise himself from the dead. He couldn't roll the stone away himself. He was dead. So he said to the sisters, you see to it, that stone is rolled away. And they ordered men to roll it away. So, so the stone had to be rolled away before a miracle could happen. And then when Jesus came, or when Lazarus came out of that tomb like this, Jesus said, loose him and let him go. And other people had to obey God and unravel him from these grave clothes. Now, here's my point. When you read the New Testament, you will find that anytime Jesus did a miracle, healing, deliverance, anything, he required a faith trigger. He required that men do something, that the recipient do what they could do so that he could do what they couldn't do. So he said to the man with a withered hand, stretch forth your withered hand. His hand is all withered and deformed. But he, as he was stretching it out, pop. But he had to stretch it out. He said to Simon Peter, if you want to walk on the water, get out of the boat. Simon Peter had to take a step out of the boat before he was walking on the water. And he wasn't really walking on water. He was walking on the word. Now, when it came to, I mean, you go all through the Bible, you, you just go through all the Bible, you see the miracles that he did, the little boy with, with, with the sack lunch, and there's 5,000 people that needed to eat. Jesus said, give me what you have. The little boy had to turn over the sack lunch before the miracle could happen, so Jesus required a step of faith, a faith trigger. He said, give me that sack lunch, so here's the deal, church, you give him what you have, and he will give you what you don't have and never could have without him. It's just that simple. So, so here comes Lazarus. All, he's out, all bound up, and, and Jesus said, I want you to release him. He was out of the grave, but he wasn't out of the grave clothes. Still bound hand and foot with grave clothes. This means he wasn't able to walk well. His feet were bound. He wasn't able to unravel himself. His hands were bound. He couldn't see. His eyes were bound. He was alive from the dead, but still bound by the wrappings of his past. 
Please hear me on this one. You get saved. You and I get saved. We get born again. We come to Jesus. Oh, forgive me of my sins. And he comes into our heart. But, but, but then we're still bound with many various kinds of grave clothes that are going to have to be loosed. Jesus said to those standing by, loose him and let him go. Rolling away the stone was necessary preparation for resurrection. But removing the grave clothes was necessary to living a resurrected life. It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to, be, to live a saved life. It's one thing to be born again, then live a born again life. One thing to be a resurrected man or woman, then live a resurrected life. Everyone in here has been called to re- live a resurrected life. Salvation isn't just a ticket to heaven. It's a ticket to live a resurrected life while still here on earth. We're, we're empowered to live a resurrected life, but sometimes the grave clothes have got to come off. Now, now here's the principle. The Lord does the quickening, but then uses the church to do the loosing. Those standing by had to move the stone. Those who had seen the miracle had to take off the grave clothes. I see a picture here. This, this story is not in here by mistake. There is spiritual truth here for every one of us. When a person is quickened by the grace of God, they are not immediately brought into the spiritual world as mature adults. They're still babes in Christ, and they carry memories, wrappings, and trappings from the grave. Memories, habits, hang-ups. They need renewed minds. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But I'm saved, but you still need your mind renewed because you still have on some grave clothes. And the church is called to help deliver them to unwrap the grave clothes. That's what we do here all the time. That's why we're here. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm telling you, by the end of this service, some grave clothes are coming off. They're coming off. Because, watch this. See, this is what a lot of people don't understand. Well, well, if I'm saved, why do I still this and that? And why do I still have this problem? Listen, because the grave clothes are in need of coming off. But the same Lord that resurrected you is going to take the grave clothes off. He's going to see to it that you are loose. Your hands are loose. Your feet are loose. Your eyes are loosed. Don't you remember? Think back with me for a minute. How others in the church took the time when you first got saved to unwrap the face cloth and help you to see the will of God for your life, for instance. Where you need to stop being critical. Help you to understand where you need to change your attitudes. That's what the church does. That's what I'm doing right now. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. And part of the equipping is the grave clothes come off. Over time, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes years for God to make a man of God, for God to make a woman of God. It's the process of renewal. It's the process of growing. It's the process of maturing. The grave clothes come off. I'm freer today than I was this time last year. I'm freer today than I was this time 20 years ago. You ought to be freer today than you were six months ago. It's the church that helped you remove the grave clothes of lingering habits and fleshly ways. And these things just begin to drop off 
as they are removed by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want you to notice, three things were bound when Lazarus came out of the grave. And these three things represent three crucial areas of life. And I want you to catch them because they have to do with you and me and how we live tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off. Okay? Three things. First, his hands were bound. Your hands represent your labor, your work, what you do with your life. That's the hands. They represent work. Feet have to do with the direction you're walking in. You're either walking down the broad road that leads to destruction or the narrow road that leads to life. And it all has to do with how you have submitted to God in your life. Feet. His feet were bound. His hands were bound. His sight was bound. How you view your life. He was blind because of this face cloth. He was mummified. He came out of there looking like a mummy. So when they removed the face cloth, he could see. The sight that I'm talking about is how you view your life, how you view you, how you view the world around you, what we would call our worldview. Are we looking at life the way Jesus does, the way God does? Or are we looking at, at the world and life and ourselves through carnal eyes? God wants to redeem our eyes. He wants to redeem our hands. He wants to redeem our feet. All of these were bound when Lazarus came out. A resurrected man... Still bound. Let me give you another example just to help illustrate this. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Jesus describes this boy who says, you know, I've had all this fun I can stand. I'm tired of the father, tired of the father's house. The far country is calling to me. So I want my inheritance, Dad, and I want it now because I'm getting out of here and I'm going to go live my life. And he went into rebellion and he ran to the far country. And for a while, it was party hardy. Everything was great. And he was saying to himself, why did I wait so long? But then the consequences began to roll in, and they always do. And he woke up realizing he was working for a pig farmer. He was eating pig's food walking around in pig slop. He had no more money. All of his friends had somehow disappeared when the money was gone. And he was all by himself. And the Bible says he came to himself and said, I'm going home if he will have me. And I'm going to tell him, I'll be a simple servant. You just let me come home. Because even a servant in your house is better than living in this pigsty. And that's the way you always end up when you leave the father's house. You will wake up in a pigsty, eating pig food, living a pig's life. Well, the Bible says that when he showed up, I want you to notice what the father did. The father did exactly what happened with Lazarus. Watch this. The father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. What was bound in Lazarus? His hands, his feet, his eyes. You say, well, the robe doesn't have to do with the eyes. Oh, yes, it does. Let me show you how. Bring forth the best robe, the father said. The best robe had to do with sight in this way, the way he viewed himself. The robe represented righteousness and redemption. 
Anytime you see in the Bible God putting a robe on anybody, it is God declaring that person to be righteous. You read in Revelation 7 verse 9, John the Revelator saw the redeemed in heaven. And he said, here's what they were wearing. It says they were wearing white robes with palm branches in their hands. You know what that's saying? The Father put the robe of righteousness and redemption on them. And when the prodigal son came home, the father put the robe of forgiveness and righteousness and redemption on him because the prodigal's view of himself needed to be changed like some of you need to have the view of yourself changed today. The prodigal's view of himself was what the grave of his spiritual backsliding had placed on him. He was defined by his failure. He was defined by his backsliding. He felt unworthy. He felt unloved, unsuccessful, and unwanted. And so to put the best robe on him had everything to do with redeeming his negative self-image so that his shame might be removed. Let me tell you something about you. Everybody in here is being defined by something. You're being defined by your failures, defined by somebody in your past who did not believe in you, defined by something somebody spoke over you that was not good, defined by something back there, or you are being defined by what the blood says about you. Every believer in here needs to be defined by the blood, not by your past. God does not define you by your past. God does not decide your destiny based on your past. God decides your destiny based on the blood, and He defines you based on what Jesus did for you. We are the righteous. Listen, listen. the Bible is so, so uh, uh, constantly defining who we are in God. Watch this. Lazarus couldn't see the world as a resurrected man until the head wrap was removed. He was blind. I think the head wrap came off first. And this man who had been dead, when that head wrap came off, suddenly was looking through the eyes of a resurrected life. And folks, we need to look through the eyes of a resurrected life. Those brought to faith in Christ often carry the grave clothes of how they viewed themselves prior to salvation. Unworthy, inferior, guilty, failing, falling, lost. We need to be helped to see who we now are in Christ. The world was always talking about the way we were. The Bible talks about the way we are. Talks about who we are. Paul wrote, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know the hope he has called you to, the glorious wealth God's people will inherit, and the greatness of his power to usward who believe. He said, I pray that your eyes will have that, that, that face covering taken off, and you will see who you are and who he is and what he has done for you, and you will quit walking around with tuck heads staring at the ground ashamed of who you are and you will lift up your head and walk with your shoulders squared because you are the redeemed of the Lord and he has declared that you are righteous in him that's it the Bible says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him that's telling us God put a robe on us can you tell your neighbor, you've got a robe on you, and it's the righteousness of Christ. Amen. 
The Bible says you are. Listen to all these you are's. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a called out people. You are, you are, you are, you are. You are called out, chosen, royal, holy, so that you may show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're not who we used to be. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that's what the redeemed eyes see. Mm. Every time God tells you who we are in Christ, the old grave clothes of how we viewed ourselves are removed. We are loosed to see through resurrected eyes. Do you today? Is that how you view yourself? But that's not the first thing or the only thing that came off of Lazarus, the resurrected man. Now he's looking through resurrected eyes, but Jesus isn't done with him. He said, remove all the grave clothes. And the next thing was the hands. The hands were bound. The Bible tells us he could not, he could not loose himself. He had to be loosed by another. In Bible times, a ring was a sign of authority. Remember the, the father put on the prodigal a ring. Here we are with the hands again. Loose Lazarus' hands. The father of the prodigal said, put a ring on his hand. The focus was on the hands. A ring was a sign of authority and sonship. It actually carried the weight of the authority of the one who gave it. So Pharaoh, for instance, gave Joseph, put a ring on Joseph's finger. It says, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, who had been brought out of prison, brought out of bondage, into liberty, he put this on Joseph. He said, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. This meant that Joseph could act in Pharaoh's place. He carried Pharaoh's authority. He could speak in the name of Pharaoh and it would be done. Do you see the parallel with us? When we got saved, he put a robe of righteousness on him and a wedding ring. And that ring means we carry the authority. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. In my name, we're acting in his stead. But that's another whole message. That's not where I want to go. The ring also points to the significance of the hands. Which is what you do with your life. How you spend it. The world is involved in manual labor. Once you're saved, you're not. You're in Emmanuel labor. Every one of us is an Emmanuel laborer. And the wages are excellent. And they're not taxed. The hands have to do with what you do with your life, your works. You're either involved in good works or bad works. Good works don't save you, but good works testify to the fact you're saved. Nobody truly saved is not going to experience their salvation working itself out in good works. When I got saved, the first thing God dealt with was my works. Because I'd been a wicked boy. I mean, I'd been a wicked kid. If my mother was here, she would amen me louder than anybody in this room. I've been a wicked boy, truly wicked. 
broke my parents' hearts, got in all kinds of trouble, angry, filled with venom, filled with vitriol. And, and I got put in jail at 16 years old. And, and it was my works that got me put there. My works, my bad works, my evil works got me put there. But in there, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time in my life. When I heard that gospel, it pricked me to the heart. It convicted me. And, and I got saved. And you know, two years later, I was back in that jail again. But not as an inmate, but as a visiting preacher. And I went there for four years, twice a week, and saw thousands of kids come to Christ because my bad works were turned into good works. When I got saved, Jesus transformed my works, the works of my hand. So that now I'm involved in good works. And, and God wants to redeem the works of everybody in this room. The Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there's not working, planning, knowledge, or wisdom. So our hands represent God's work in our life, our works, whether they be good or bad. Salvation and resurrection from st- spiritual death include the redemption of your hands, the work of your hands, how you spend the life that God has given to you. That's why here we're so big on once you're saved and and you've had some time to grow in the Lord, you ought to be involved in some ministry somewhere in some kind of giving where it is righteous works. Let him who stole steal no longer, the Bible says, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. Ephesians 4.28. Notice, here's a thief that was taking from others out of greed. Now he's giving to others out of compassion. His works have been redeemed. Loose his hands that this resurrected man can be involved in resurrected works. The Bible says, I love this, present yourselves to God as people who have been brought back to life from the dead and offer all the parts of your body to God to be used as weapons to do what is right. Romans 6, 13. We are God's handiwork. I want you to catch this now. God has a plan. God had a plan for you. Let me tell you what God did not do when you got saved. God did not say, well, I'll be. He didn't turn to Jesus and say, can you believe that they got saved? I mean, let me show you the way it was. Here's a great big door right here. Great big door. And it says something. On this side of the door, it says, whosoever will, let him come. You were walking along, that door presented itself to you. Sign Jesus. Whosoever will, let him come to me. Whosoever will. And we said, I need him. We turned the doorknob. We walked through. We got saved. But when the door shut on the other side and we turned around, we saw something written on the other side. You know what it said? I knew you were coming all the time. Everybody around you might be shocked that you got saved. But I'm not. Because I had a plan. You got to hear this plan, church. Listen to this. We are God's handiwork. 24-7, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, born again in Christ to do good works, redemption of the hands, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. Before your mommy and daddy met each other and there was a sparkle in their eye, God saw you in Christ. Let me take it back even further. Before God hurled the planets into space, He saw you in Christ. I can't wrap my mind around that. But the Bible tells me it's true. Before the foundations of the world were laid, He saw you in Christ. God had places for us to go, things for us to do, but we can't experience any of them until we've been resurrected from the spiritual dead and loosed. Loose Him and let Him go, said Jesus. So following our spiritual resurrection and our eyes being opened, and our hands being loose to be involved in righteous work, one thing remains. You've got to loose his feet. He can't walk. He can't walk. He can't walk out a resurrected life. Loose him. Our feet are loose to walk a righteous path. Now, let me go back to prodigal for a minute. The father said, put sandals on his feet. Why would he do that? Because slaves in Bible times were barefoot. The prodigal had left with shoes on, but he returned with no shoes. Because when he had gone out there in the world, he lost his walk with the Father. He went into slavery to sin, and so it's a very valid picture that he returned with no shoes. And the first thing the Father wanted to do was take away that slavery and put on him sandals. That his feet, the direction of his life, the path he walked would be righteous. So the sandals in the story of the prodigal are a picture of newfound freedom and redemption from slavery to sin. Listen to what the Bible says. Romans 6, 17. You used to be slaves to sin. You had no choice. You had to sin. You weren't a self-made man or a self-made woman. You weren't doing your own thing. You might have thought you were. But you had no choice. You must sin. Every time the devil cracked his whip, you had to sin. Every time the devil said jump, you had to jump. You were not a child of God. You were a child of the devil, and so was I. That's why born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you're the devil's child. Born twice, you're God's child. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you're bound. Born twice, you're free. Born once, you're hell-bound. Born twice, you're heaven-bound. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. But once you're born again, He redeems the direction of your life. You were walking this way, going down the broad way that leads to destruction. Most of us were running down it. But then we saw that door. Whosoever will. And we went through it. And, and the minute we were saved, God turned us around and redeemed our feet to go in a righteous path. Now where we used to go, we don't go. The places we used to hang out, we don't go there anymore. Look at you. You're in church on a Sunday morning when the weather's beautiful. What happened to you? God redeemed your feet. He redeemed your hands. He redeemed your eyes. He changed you from the inside out so that the things you used to hate, now you love. And the things you used to love, now you hate. Isn't salvation wonderful? As slaves to evil, we had no choice but to follow an evil path. But no longer... Jesus said, loose his feet and let him go. And the grave clothes that encumbered Lazarus' feet were removed, and the prodigal's bare feet received redemption. 
As a resurrected man or woman, we can now follow a new direction, the path of life. Proverbs says, make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Don't swerve to the right. Don't swerve to the left. Keep your foot from evil. That's what redeemed people do. Our feet have been redeemed. Our hands, our works have been freed. Our eyes can now see. We've experienced a miracle. The greatest miracle known to man is the one I'm describing to you right now. So say with me, my eyes see now. My hands are freed for righteous work. My feet are freed for a righteous path. Can we stand together today? I'm going to ask us to bow for just a moment of prayer. Very, very important. There's as little movement as possible. Because some of you today have a question mark in your mind. Am I really a child of God? Have I really been resurrected like I just heard described? Oh, yeah, I'm in church. But there's a question mark in the back of your mind. Sometimes at night. When your head hits the pillow and you're alone, your thoughts wander to a question. Am I where I need to be with God? Am I where I should be with God? Or am I in rebellion against Him? Can I tell you today, God loves you more than you could ever know. And He wants to redeem your eyes that they see your hands that they're free for righteous work, your feet that you go the path you should. So with your heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'd like to pray that Jesus is Lord of my life, that he comes fully into my heart, that, that I experience that resurrection in my own life, my own story that resurrection power can come into your life right now I want you to forget about people around you who cares what people think but I want to pray with you right where you are the first service we have many people come down after the service and say I prayed that prayer with you and I want to do that today with you if you can say Pastor Jeff I want to secure my walk with God. I want to give my heart to the Lord. I want to invite Him in. And I want to walk with Him. Will you raise your hand here today and say, that's me. I need Him. All over this place. Put it high. Don't be ashamed of Him. Many of you. Don't be ashamed of the Lord. I see you. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. God bless you. The Lord's as far away as a prayer. And that means he's close. Pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved and be a resurrected person with resurrected eyes, hands, and feet to live a righteous life through your power. Lord, come into my heart forgiving me of all of my sin. 
Forgive me for my rebellion. Forgive me for the sin. Wash me of all the unrighteousness and come into my heart. Take charge, Lord, this very day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen carefully. When we dismiss, and we're going to do it in just a moment, promise me, if you pray with me, you will come down, because I'm going to stand here looking stupid if you don't. I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to wait for you. Why do I need to come down there? Because I want to meet you. I want to give you something to take home that we already have ready for you. And I want to pray with you one more time. So please say, I'll do it. Thank you. I heard you. I'll come down there. All right.